Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. When we talk about who we're becoming in Jesus, we're not talking about discipleship in isolation, and we're not just talking about ourselves. The reality is that we disciple in community. Uh, there are people around us. So when I ask the question, who is it that I'm becoming in Christ? Or you say, who am I becoming in Christ? You're also looking around and you're saying, who are we becoming? Who are the people around me? Who am I surrounding myself with? Who is it that I'm listening to? Which people and whose ideas are shaping my life? When we answer that question here at New Horizons, we're answering this question by saying that we want to be people who are deeply connected to Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, living as an expression of God's love to the world. In order to be deeply connected to Jesus, we need to spend time with Jesus in scripture, in prayer, and also in silence. It's not just about talking to him. Oftentimes the important step that we miss is sitting and listening, allowing him to speak to us and learning to discern the voice of God. He shares with us impressions. He will highlight words in scripture. Uh, God uses imagery. He uses dreams. He uses the creative world around us and we look around and we see him speaking to us. He speaks to us through our own attitudes and our emotions and actions, highlighting things that he wants to applaud and to encourage us that we're doing well as we walk with him, but also to bring correction and maybe make changes and see us shaped more into the image of Jesus. So we slow down so that we can have time with him throughout our days, not just at the beginning or at the very end as a tag or just once a week during a church service. We slow down to be with Jesus throughout our whole day. And in this way, we're being more deeply connected to Jesus. We wanna be people who are full of the Holy Spirit. So that means that it is first demonstrated in the fruit or character of our lives. Spiritual gifts are a sign of the Holy Spirit's work, and this is uh, for sure, this is most definite. We don't discredit or discount spiritual gifts. They're a part of something that we believe are available to every believer, and God's work is active through spiritual gifts. However, they're a sign of the Holy Spirit's presence, but we're reminded that the priority is the character, one's life, the fruit of the Spirit, because Without the fruit, the gifts, as scripture teaches, are meaningless. They're fruitless. They, they uh, don't really amount to much except for, as Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians, they become noise within the church. And so we want to put our emphasis on the fruit of the Spirit, our character, and how we're being shaped in the image of Christ. And gifts are uh, part of what supplements that experience. Finally, we understand that Jesus sends us into the world just as the Father sent him into the world. Not to condemn the world, but we are understanding that the Father sent Jesus so that his love might be expressed to the world, so that salvation might come 
to the world. And this is important for us to understand as well, that when Jesus sends us, he sends us not to condemn it, but so that the world might be saved through Jesus Christ. So we want people to see Jesus in us and through our lives. So whether they accept him or reject him, it's not because of who we are. It's not because of our ideologies or our perspective on life. It's because they've caught a glimpse of the resurrected Christ in our lives and they are drawn to him and they want to know him more. So this is our desire. Well, in the series Life Together, that this is the second message uh, that I'm speaking on this idea, we're recognizing that Jesus said one of the most prominent ways that people will see him and understand who he is, is through the love that Christians show for one another. It's through how we live life connected together and in community that makes such a difference in how people see Jesus. So while the world is at each other's throats, fighting and volleying uh, insults back and forth at one another, uh, Jesus says that people will look at his people, the church, the body of Christ, and if we're living in step with the Spirit, they will see people who are living life in such a way that it draws people to see him. It'll be a community that is so redemptive and healing and supernatural that people will notice something about the church that is healing and transformational. It will testify about Jesus because nobody lives in community like the church is called to live in community. And so this is our desire. This is what we feel like we are called to. This is what we believe scripture is calling us to. Now, this is not possible on our own. We understand that it requires supernatural impartation. It requires the work of the Holy Spirit in us. It's impossible to fully become like Jesus without one receiving his Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is transforming us, but also the part that makes this necessary that we're in community with one another is that we can't put on display the redemptive work of relationships as Christ works in us without being in relationship. And so this is why in my last message, I said that your faith in Jesus Christ is what saves you, but it's your relationships in the church that disciples you. Now, I have heard it said so many times from different people, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian, and that is absolutely true. You do not, I do not need to go to church to be a Christian. That is a work of grace because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And no amount of work or effort on a human being's part could allow somebody or cause somebody to experience redemption. That is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. However, to grow in discipleship, you need others who are in God's family to help disciple you. You need to be part of a Christian community, whether that's a small group community, a, a house church network, or a traditional brick and mortar church building that you attend. The church is the people of God. It is made up of those who confess Christ as King and Lord and who are living now in relationship with one another. So yes, you can follow, become a, a disciple, become a follower of Jesus, just through the work of Christ, you don't have to go to a church. However, you can't be discipled unless you're part of Christ's community. 
there, it's just not possible because it is all relationship based. It is all how you and I practice the one another's of loving one another, forgiving one another, showing kindness to one another, being compassionate to one another. You can't do those if you're just living in isolation of you or your immediate family. It requires the community of Jesus. Well, in this message, the focus is on what happens when we attempt to live life with one another. And I can tell you there are two things that are going to happen right away and not in any particular order. These two things are one, you are going to offend somebody, and the second is that you are going to be offended. And it may be in reverse. You may get offended before you offend, but either way, it's going to happen. Both of those things are going to happen. And we're probably all familiar with the saying that says, don't make a mountain out of a molehill. This idea is that somebody is taking something that really is just a molehill, something small, and they're blowing it up and be creating something big. They're, they're over-exaggerating, they're overreacting and making it too big. Well, as I think about that saying, don't make a mountain out of a molehill, I think about Christians in relationship to one another, one another they're encouraged to receive and to give grace and to interact with one another in such a way that even if you have experienced a mountain of offense, that you're able to turn it into a small molehill. If you have at some point offended somebody in such a way that it's a mountain of offense, by the grace of Jesus Christ, you're able to reduce that down to something as small as a molehill and not allow it to get in the way of your relationships. So really we're called to practice something that is totally the opposite of making a mountain out of a molehill. We're believing that we can take a mountain of offense and we can reduce it down to something that will not get in the way of our relationships. This is a critical discipleship practice when we think about growing in community and living life together in Jesus Christ. In this way, we're, we're able to take these offenses in Christ because they will come. You will offend, you will be offended. And likewise, the same for me. I have offended people and I have been offended by people. But the, the reality isn't whether that will happen, the, the Christian question, the, the question that comes to every follower of Jesus is, what will you do when you've offended or when you've experienced offense? Are you going to blow it up and are you going to hold on to it and continue to wound yourself over and over with that offense? Or are you going to surrender it to Christ and allow him to make it just a small mound so that you can get over that offense and you can stay in relationship with others? Well, it's a big task. We need prayer. Let's pray and then look at Ephesians chapter 4 and how that says that we can address one another in this way. Lord, we thank you so much for your work on the cross. It is the basis for all of our relationships in our Christian walk. Uh, we don't start with us. We start with your work on the cross and how it redeems, how it restores and heals all other relationships that we have. At least we believe it should. And so, Lord, empower us, help us to experience it and to live it out because we have a, a part in this. It's not just something you do, but it's what you do in us and through us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word. 
Speak it into us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our passage is Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 6 and then also 17 to 32. It has much to say about this very topic. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned in Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through de deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for, the building, for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Now, there are a couple contrasts in this passage that are worth noting. The first one highlights those who are without God in the world, who are living apart from Christ, how they go through life, and they are unable to resolve the destructive patterns that they live by. This is found in verses 17 through 19. Here's just a couple bullets about what happens with them. One, it's the futility of their mind. So they're wandering. There's no clarity about life. There's no purpose. And so they go around and circle one after another, just figuring out how do I experience life? What is my purpose in life? So this is pointing to those who are apart from Christ. There's futility in their, in their minds. It says they're darkened in their understanding. So they reason, apart from Christ, they come to reasoning that really has no foundation in truth. It is just whatever the truth is, air quotes, of the moment. It is whatever the cultural moment is, that becomes the truth of the day. So there is no foundation. As we know in the, the world around us, uh, oftentimes in the, the culture that focuses on relativism that says 
Truth is just whatever you think it is. It's whatever I think it is. It is relative to the moment, relative to the experience of the individual. So it's saying there's a darkening in their understanding because they reason things out not on the basis of truth, but on the basis of just what they feel or what they desire. It also says there's a hardness of heart that keeps them away from God. This is a resolution. They are, they are determined to live life on their terms, their way, and, and everything else be pushed aside. God be ignored. God doesn't exist or doesn't have say, and it's just a hardness of their heart that keeps them away from experiencing the life that God has for them. And then finally, it says there's a callousness. They've become really so hardened that that, that heart has a callousness to it. And they've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. It's like the addict who has to keep increasing the dose just to feel something. They, they live life in this same way and their relationships are experienced this way, the hardening of their heart. And, and they have to keep going farther and deeper. They have to try to experience something new just to have any feeling at all because of this callousness of heart that has come upon their life. They've become numb to love. They've become numb to hope. They become numb to healing. They become numb to acceptance. It's really no wonder then that people apart from Christ are in relationships. They, they find themselves continually offended and offending others. Ultimately, it's because they've developed so much hardness that they're just trying to get through life without any more pain, without any more relational suffering. And so there's an offense and the callousness builds up. There's a hardness that builds up. They offend somebody else who creates a conflict and another hardness where they are fearful to even engage in relationship because of this pattern of brokenness, offense, being offended and taking offense and giving offense. And so there's so much of this that they've given up really on ever experiencing the fullness or the joy that they long for in relationships. It's just that goal that he or she just says, I, I just want to get by with the minimal number of relationships that I have and hoping that I don't create any more offense or I don't get hurt by any more people. It's this idea that we're not safe. People aren't safe. And so apart from Christ, people build up this callousness of heart, this hardening of heart to others in this way. This points to this idea that without the forgiveness and redemptive work of Jesus Christ, our relationships are stuck in cycles of momentary joy that turn into relational pain, hardness of heart, and brokenness. I know that sounds desperate, but I've seen it over and over. I experienced it myself over and over. When Jesus isn't involved, when the redemptive healing work of Christ isn't involved, I've felt that hardness, that brokenness. And I would imagine that you have too at different points in, in your life. And you've experienced that conflict where there's the hardness apart from Christ. There's no hope for that relationship. It's just this wall that gets built up between two people. And it's really not a hopeful picture but that's why we're given a contrast in Ephesians 4 with what we can experience through Jesus Christ. In fact, verse 20 is so hopeful in this way. It's with an exclamation point that he says this, but that is not what you learned in Christ. 
That is not the way that you experienced relationship in Jesus Christ. There's hope. There's a new way. Good news. It doesn't have to be just brokenness and hardness of heart any longer. There's more that you can hope for. There's more that you can experience through Jesus Christ, not only in your relationship with God, but also in our relationship with others within the body of Christ. Here's what that looks like according to this passage. One, we experience this life, this relational wholeness when we put away falsehood and we speak truth. So we, we start with truth. In other words, we don't blow, we don't make a mountain out of a molehill. We don't blow things up and misrepresent things in order just to make a point or to make ourselves look better or to uh, put somebody else in their place. No, this, this says, listen, we speak truth. We don't over-exaggerate. We, we, we don't uh, say things in ways that misrepresent the other person. And in fact, when we're uh, around our other friends and an individual's not there. We don't, we don't speak ill of them uh, in, in other ways. We put away that falsehood and we speak truth. It encourages us to be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, this is, I love how scripture does this. It doesn't say don't ever be angry. Anger is a valid emotion, but anger is an emotion that needs to be put in check. Unchecked anger quickly can move to rage, can move to destructive patterns of relating to people. I've experienced it myself. Anger is not an emotion that in the past I've handled well, and so I've had to disciple in this area uh, aggressively. I've had to ask the Lord to help me, and I continue to ask the Lord to help me in this area of anger. But this is specifically brought out, said, be angry. It's okay to feel anger but do not sin. It, it really calls us to limit this emotion, especially in anger. Don't just let yourself feel whatever you feel without limit. Put a limit on this emotion, especially when it comes to anger. And in response to this, give no opportunity to the devil. In other words, if anger or some other emotion is getting away from you, stop. Be quiet. Hold your tongue. This is a strong encouragement. Don't let things get away from you. Do not give the devil an opportunity to twist and push and pull you and the relationship with this other person in a way that would allow the devil, the enemy, the slanderer of your soul, the one who is working against robbing, who is trying to rob Jesus of glory, who is trying to rob Jesus of worship. Do not give him a place in your relationships. And the way that you don't give, oftentimes the way you don't give a foothold or an opportunity to work in your life, what I've learned and what I've seen over and over is to be quiet, is to hold your tongue. The book of James talks about this and says, whoa, who can tame the tongue? It's like a wildfire. It, it puts entire a forest on fire. It, it's just untamed. And so James says, be careful. This, this tongue can get away from you. So if you feel yourself, if you sense yourself getting out of control with your words, this takes real discipleship. But this is the instruction. Stop. Be quiet. Don't give the devil a foothold. Instead, it says, have something to share with anyone in need. Change your disposition from getting 
and trying to receive something to trying to give something. Try to have something available that you want to pass along to somebody else. Do not let any corrupting talk, but only such which is good for building up. Again, is it starting? Are you starting to feel this desire to tear somebody down, to put them in their place? Again, stop. Just pause. Just hold your tongue. Tame that thought, rein it back in and bring it in submission to Jesus Christ. Don't let anything that would corrupt this relationship, anything that would tear it down, but only those things that would build it up. I can't tell you how many times my wife and I have been in a conversation and it's escalating to a point and I find myself or she's found herself and we're in this place where we're trying to make a point and we're you know, just over a threshold of no longer is it being productive, but it's starting to tear down one another. And we've just had to stop. We've just had to say, this is not helpful. In the same way, I've had interactions with people within the church where I've just very calmly and, and just said, let's just pause for a moment. Let's discern what it is that the Holy Spirit wants to do in this moment because this doesn't seem to be helping. Let's take a break. Let's pick this back up in another day. As long as we can go through the, into the evening without anger, maybe we should just pause until we're ready to build one another back up. It needs to be talk that fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Does it add or detract? Does it, does it help the situation? Uh, how many times in relationships do we pull back in stuff from the past? Do we bring in something else that's not helping the situation? It's not fitting the occasion. It's actually detracting from it. It's diminishing and it's not being productive. Again, the encouragement, don't go that direction. Only find those things that are fitting that are going to help build up this other individual or the situation. Now this one. There's a lot here. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Get rid of bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. Let these things be put away from you, along with all malice. Put this stuff away. In other words, it has no place. <laughs> Sometimes we get in our conversations with people, and it's almost like we have a bag of this stuff. Bitterness, wrath, anger, malice. I mean, it's just sitting here. And we just think, oh, well, this seems like the place I should pull that out and express that. Not consciously, but we just do. We have the bag and it just sits here and we're waiting and it's ready. It's ready for us to reach in that bag and add those to the conversation. This passage says, you know what? Put it in the closet. Put it away. Don't put it within reach. Just be very present with the person in that moment. Stop grabbing at these things. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. Put this stuff away. Malice. It shouldn't even be within an arm's reach of us, a heart's reach and uh, within our line of sight. We should just be very present with the individual and leaning into these other things. Here it is. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. There it is. That's the summation. That's where we come to be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That last part gives the whole basis for our interactions with one another as God in Christ forgave you. Is it because the other person deserves it? No. 
because you didn't deserve the forgiveness of Christ, but he forgave you anyways. You can extend forgiveness even though you think the other person doesn't deserve it. You can extend kindness even though you don't think the other person deserves it. You can be tender-hearted even though the other person might be hard-hearted. You can extend grace even though you don't think the person deserves grace. Why? Because Jesus Christ extended all of those things to you. God showed you that in his gift of life in Jesus. Now, all of this, I'm not saying this is easy. All this is really difficult stuff. In fact, we've already established that apart from life in Jesus, it's actually impossible. We're not going to get there. We're going to be in this cycle of harm, destruction, disillusionment, and then hardness of heart, building up a wall, and then alienating ourselves from one another. So I understand it's, it's challenging. But remember, what, and this is even a step farther than this. I'm not just talking about you know, your relationships with your family members, a spouse or a sibling or uh, a relative, this is how you're supposed to relate to the other people in the body of Christ. These are people whom you aren't even related to. So the next time you're in a circle of fellow Christians at a, at a church gathering, a small group, look around that room and remember this is the way that in Christ we're called to relate to one another. This is how you relate to the person over at First Presbyterian Church in Grand Junction. This is how you relate to the person who's at the Vineyard Church, Victory Life Fellowship, uh, Fellowship Church, River of Life Church, uh, the house church in your neighborhood, the small group you're a part of, etc. The the fellow Christian online with whom you don't uh, agree. See, this is how the family of God operates. It's a supernatural way that we interact with one another. There is never permission to act in ways of the ungodly, malice, bitterness, rage, uh, jealousy, fits of anger, slander. Paul says this is none of this is acceptable within God's family. Instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Let me finish with this main idea. Our relationships in the body of Christ will only reach their fullness when our hearts are soft and we realize that people are in our lives to fulfill God's purposes, not our own. It's too easy to take offense. I've done it before. It's too easy to take an offense that even is just a molehill and build it up into a mountain. I add on so many other things, my history with that person, and they were so inconsiderate, and I just add to it, add to it, and I make this huge offense out of it. It's too easy for me to offend others. I know I have, and I, I will. It's it's part of what happens when we are interacting with one another. Sometimes it's an intentional offense, but I would say most often people aren't trying to offend. It's just a misspoken word or something out of line, an oversight, forgetfulness, or a lack of consideration. And then an offense happens. And in the body of Christ, we're called to take this mountain of offense that happens between one another that we either give or receive and this mountain of offense and we bring it all before the cross and the work of Jesus and we say, you know what, I don't want to hold this and I don't want to perpetuate this offense 
Instead, I, I, because of what God has done by giving Jesus Christ, I, I want to bring it down to the level. And I, I want to be kind and compassionate. I want to change my disposition from feeling like you're my enemy and I'm putting you in your place or I'm protecting myself from you to you're my brother and sister in Christ. You're part of the family of God. And I want to relate to you in a way that diminishes these offenses and takes a mountain and reduces it down to a molehill. Better yet, take this mountain and cast it aside and so that I can be in relationship with those whom Christ is in relationship with. It's a tall order, but it's something that we're empowered to do by the Holy Spirit. And so I want to call you to it. I want to call myself to it in Christ. This is the way we can experience life together. Let's pray. Lord, this, uh, this exists within the church. We recognize that we do act in ways as non-believers. Um, we take offense, we give offense. And Lord, we're darkened in our hearts. We're hardened in our hearts towards people. And God, this is, a, this is such a disgrace to you. It's such a disgrace to the work that you did on the cross. Our hearts, because of the work that you've done, as the scripture says, this is not what we were taught in you. This is not the way of Jesus that you brought us to. Instead, you call us, you lead us to be tender-hearted towards one another. We are, we are called and, and we are supposed to be the most tender-hearted people on earth. Not hard, not callous. We're not in, we are the lambs. <laughs> we are the sheep within the world who are soft and tender and we're being led by the good shepherd. And so, Father, I, I rebuke and I just cast aside any calling that's going out from this world that says we need to be hard-hearted. We need to be, uh, Lord, the aggressive ones. We need to be sharp with our tongue and bitter and angry and divisive. Lord, that's all stuff out of the pit of hell. That's all stuff that comes out of the, the, the uh, Lucifer. It comes from the liar, the deceiver, the slanderer. Lord, that's not your way. That's the world's way and the way of the, the, the enemy. So Lord, I pray you would lead us in the way of the lamb, the way of the one who is tenderhearted, that we would be loving and compassionate, caring for one another. This is not easy in a world that tries to get us to harden our heart, but would you help us come Holy Spirit and let us be people of a tender heart, people who have clarity of thought, who don't escalate, but who de-escalate. Not people who perpetuate wrongs, but who redeem relationship. We thank you that you've called us to it. We thank you that you've empowered us for it. And we thank you that you'll walk with us and help us accomplish it. In Jesus' name. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506.
Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.